0: <laughs> You're listening to Halford and Bruff. If they are thinking that, man, we can't afford to lose Bo because what would we be then? I will maybe... On the air. I think we can all see what's going on here. We, we all see where this is headed. It's just a matter of when a change is going to be made, but I think we all recognize uh, it's going to be made at, at some point in time.
1: Well, that's the end of me. Good morning, Vancouver. 6 o'clock on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Brough. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. dog. good morning to you. Good morning. And to you, Laddie, a good morning as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Brough of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate Dealer today. I said we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios. Jason, Tell them more about the fine folks at Kintec.
0: Kintec Footwear and Orthotics. That's right. They got them both. Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintec.net.
1: Yeah, big show today. A Tuesday, Canucks are back in action tonight, 4 o'clock in Buffalo. We'll set the stage for you throughout the day. Uh, Our first guest will be at 6.30, Greg Wyshynski, our good buddy, from ESPN. As per usual, we'll whip around the league. Looks at look at everything that's going on outside of this Vancouver bubble that we live in. 730. I mentioned the Canucks are playing the Sabres tonight. Paul Hamilton from WGR Radio 550 in Buffalo is going to join us to preview things. From the Sabres side, after getting off to a tremendous start to the season, 7-3-0. Sabers have hit the skids. Five straight losses for the Buffalo Sabers. How does it feel, Buffalo?
0: They're back to being the Sabers.
1: That's right. Now you get to face the Canucks, who have always remained the Canucks. Everyone <laughs> up?
0: They're just staying the Canucks.
1: Uh, eight o'clock. answer is going to join us here on the program. Uh, I should mention Canucks. Sabers. Four o'clock. Uh, busy night in the NHL. Eight other games. New Jersey, the, the the thriving New Jersey Devils, taking on Montreal and Toronto and Pittsburgh. Uh, meet for the second time in I believe ninety six hours. So those are a couple games there. Five NBA games. Relatively light night. Lots of hockey though. So eight o'clock it's Drancer. Seven thirty it's Paul Hamilton. Six thirty it's Greg Wasinski. That's the guest list. That's what's happening. Uh, Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened.
0: Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was. We know how busy your life can be. What
1: happened, You missed that. So last night, uh, there was NHL play on the ice, but the majority of the hockey world was focused on the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto and the induction ceremonies for the purposes of this station and this conversation and what we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on three players in particular, Daniel Sedin, Hendrick Sedin, and Roberto Luongo, the trifecta of former Canucks who were inducted into Hall of Fame last night. Um, In any instance of these ceremony-type things, you kind of get standard paint-by-numbers, playbook coverage from the media. I'm not trying to shoot down what we do, but you play some clips from their speeches, you go back and do a chronological review of their career. It's all packaged very neatly for you, which is why I thought it was uh, interesting to kind of go beyond that and look at some of the other, other narratives, other points of interest with those three in particular, really the entire class. You brought up a good one here. All of these inductees didn't have the one thing that most people look at as the defining mark of your career, winning the Stanley Cup. Mm -hmm. And you brought up a good point here. It's only going to get more and more difficult to capture a cup as we go along, not just because it's hard, but because there's more and more teams, just the statistical likelihood of it. With 32 teams, it gets that much more difficult to hoist Lord Stanley's mug. So we may see more Hall of Famers moving along. That are in this conversation of having never won the cup, but still going in to the
0: Hall. Yeah, well, first of all, I thought it was pretty cool that the Sedins and Luongo got to go in together. And Luongo referenced that in his speech, that when he got the call to the Hall of Fame, he asked if the Sedins were going in with him. um, And I'm sure he was very happy to uh, learn that they were. So it was a very Canuck-flavored um, Hall of Fame weekend, which which was kind of weird because all the while everyone is also talking about what's going on with the current Canucks. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think in some ways, although all four, including Alfie, did win Olympic gold. Because the Sedin's and Alfredson were on that 2006 Swedish team in uh, Italy that we, we we don't talk about anymore in Canada. We don't there were talk Olympics about, in Italy. We don't talk about those Olympics. They didn't they didn't go very well. And of course, Luongo won Olympic gold in 2010. That was an Olympics. Uh, that, that was the yeah, that was that was obviously the most important Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know I I do think this is probably going to happen more and more. I don't know about all four members uh, of the same class failing to win the Stanley Cup. And uh, Alfie got close in 2007, was it? Yes. The, yeah. With with the Ottawa Senators who mm-hmm. lost to the Anaheim Ducks. And we all know that the <laughs> Sedins of Luongo came pretty close themselves. Um, it brings up some good uh, talking points when we're talking about debates about who is hall of fame worthy and individual success versus team success. Um, I, I'm not sitting here saying that he <laughs> shouldn't, those guys shouldn't have been inducted. I think what they did, um, throughout their careers the their storylines the quality of people that they were and and that does play into things in in the Hall of Fame if you read the sure. uh, the the requirements um and and Alfie was like much loved in Ottawa and there's some people that hope he's part of a group that buys the team um but I do think it's an interesting debate about how much team achievements should play into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. You know, is it ever, for example, is it ever fair to hold a lack of team success against a player when it comes to things like the Hall of Fame? Now, there will be some people that are listening to this and going like, absolutely not. A player cannot control his teammates. It's not, you know, you, you might say it's not the Sadin's fault. They never won the Stanley Cup. The Canucks got injured or they, I don't know, they got screwed by the league. Whatever you think about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2011 Stanley Cup, it's not Luonga's fault, whatever. What if, let's take those guys out of the equation, take Alfie out of the equation too. What if a player is overly loyal to a bad team? Or that player just goes for the most money in free agency. So to take those guys out of the equation, let's say good old Johnny Gaudreau, Johnny Hockey, at the end of his career, has the stats to make a case for the Hall of Fame when he retires. Let's say that. Sure. Like you'd say, I don't know what his stats are right now, but let's say he's obviously over 1,000 points. He has maybe, um, I don't know, maybe some individual awards. But the Blue Jackets never even come close to winning a cup. Like Alfie and the Sedins and Longo, they always got to the Stanley Cup final. They won games in the playoffs multiple years. Let's say the Blue Jackets never do that. Okay. Couldn't you question his decision to sign in Columbus and then, for lack of a better way of saying it, hold it against him?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a great example. I mean, it's not quite the Marcel Dion example where he played so long and languished on bad Kings teams. It was clearly one of the best players in the league, top 15 scorer, all that stuff. But he, yeah, Goudreau made a choice to his Wagon, to Columbus. Mm-hmm. And I think as time passes on, the reasons will become less and less important, and it'll just be, he made the choice. Yeah. And he made a long-term commitment to a place that, when he joined, uh, was floundering a little bit, and they're still floundering right now. Uh, you know, I think as we go
0: along... We're not saying Columbus is never going to win the Cup. We're just saying, let's say it plays out <laughs> like that. <laughs> it feels like Lincoln. a long shot right now, I'll tell you that. they got some good young players.
1: Yeah, they've got some good young players in the pipeline. I think the, the conversation really comes down to... Uh, do Does the Hall of Fame, or is the Hall of Fame already acknowledging this sea change that's happened with regards to competitive balance and dynasties and a hard cap really just re refocusing how teams are built and how long they can remain competitive? Because, in put it this way, with Goudreau, in that cycle that he has in Columbus over the, the seven years he's going to spend there, it's very possible that he could go through two different complete changes. Like he could be coming in on a low ebb where things aren't that great. They could go up. It could be a short window and they could be right back down again. And then he could be at the tail end of another one. I mean, that's what we've seen, for example, in Boston. Mm-hmm. Uh, although Boston's managed to be more competitive throughout, there's been waves where Bergeron and Marchon were part of the quote unquote first era where they won their cup. And now they're back at the end of, of a second one where they look like they're the best team in the NHL. I just think that postseason success is going to become less and less of a resume builder or when you're submitting your application to get into the Hall of Fame. I know it doesn't work like that. I just feel like after a while, they're going to have to start looking at this and saying, the way that this player played and the individual, because that's what it is. It's an individual Mm -hmm. accolade, right? Teams don't go into the Hall of Fame. Individuals do. That this individual uh, is worthy on merit, almost despite whatever the team built around him may or may not have done.
0: I think uh, my whole point in doing this is I want to know that winning is the most important thing to a player and not individual accomplishment. Think of some of the players we've talked about um, in the last few months even. Uh, Russell Wilson... One of the things we criticized him for was his um, reported desire, you know, to win MVP, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. And we're not saying that Russ doesn't want to win football games, but that seemed, it seemed a little too much, right? There was a lot of legacy involved. And right now, Ronaldo is acting a little bit, well, petulant. Yeah. He's being kind of, you know, and, 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 and I don't know, maybe this does extend with Ronaldo. Maybe he is desperate for more team success. He's not having it on United, and maybe he wanted to play more because he wanted to be informed for the World Cup for Portugal. So maybe that is a team thing. But I will want to know that for sure. For example, the Sannins are very, very open about their disappointment in not winning a cup. Yes. And I respect that. It's okay to admit disappointment, as long as you don't beat yourself up too much over it, and you're, you know, you you don't, uh, um, you know, you still appreciate and and give yourself kudos for the things that you did accomplish in your career. Uh, nobody is going to finish their lives with everything checked off the list, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like nobody's going to be like, well. I did it all. Yeah, unless I you have a really crappy I list. I did it all successfully. Well done. Yeah. Uh, I can I can leave this world now. Um, but Daniel said, uh, I think Friday I was reading this. Um, I think in Daily Hive, he said, "Listen, the Hockey Hall of Fame is a great honor. I don't want to minimize it, but I rather would have won the Stanley Cup, if you know what I mean." Yeah, we do. That's a team win. I think we're all about the team. This is more individual. I mean, yeah, this is probably the ultimate individual award to win, but I think we are all about the team. And I honestly don't think that's that's just lip service. It's not just Daniel Sedin sure. with the PR because and people listening out there right now, you, you can extend this. Like don't feel bad about extending this to like, I don't know, wins you had as a kid or wins you've had just playing rec sports. Like, there is nothing better than having success with a group of people. The celebration Mm -hmm. that you get to have together, the stories that you get to remember together, it totally sounds schlocky. Yes. But camaraderie is a thing. And when you look at this current Canucks group, how much camaraderie do you see? How much joy do you see? There are guys having individual seasons. JT Miller's coming off a 99-point season. That was a career season. Yeah, he got paid for it. Good for him, right? You think he's happy right now? Don't you think he'd like a little more team success? Um, I mean, for example, uh, this is another great example, right? I'm the most important and talented individual on this show. It's important we get that out there. But the camaraderie mm-hmm. is what I like the most. Yeah. you know, like I want you mm-hmm. guys to know that, even though I'm talented and probably the most talented, and like kind of drive the show, and probably the most handsome, modest it, too. It's but it's but it's the time we get to spend together. It's that ir- I it's will irreplaceable remember. The that, time we get to spend together. That's what I love the
2: most. I do. Got to say, I, I I look forward to coming into work every day. And talking to Mike Halford.
1: i got to say, I'm not really buying this camaraderie argument. It's like a thing, bruh. I don't know. I don't you're know you're not selling made, it very well You he made here. a pretty
2: good point. Can we just say for a second how amazing it was that Daniel, spent, or Henrik rather, spent like a third of his speech roasting Daniel? Yeah, it was like awesome. A third of his I speech. I didn't see that just, coming. Oh, it was sure. great. It was so good. I
1: didn't know how they were going to go about it because,
2: you know, I've, I've seen
1: enough Hall of Fame induction speeches. Yeah. And like the NFL sets the bar. Because sure. it's like it's like the guys who spent like a better part of a year writing a script designed to be a tearjerker, right? And then mm-hmm. the hockey guys are always more demure, and especially a lot of the Swedes, right? But that was that was great.
2: That was really funny. Lou was fantastic as well. I, I loved his speech. He so was what, really what was good. this
1: about Luongo when he saw Hasek? Sorry. Well, yeah, because he's I never didn't see this.
2: Luongo had never met Dominic Hasek before. So, in oh. the camera panned Luongo instantly when he when Hasek was coming out with his uh, his plaque. And you see Luongo just almost turned white. Like, he looked like he just saw a ghost. He couldn't believe what he was watching. It, yeah. was, the, it was the coolest thing to see Luongo's reaction. Like, oh, my God, I get to meet Dominic. Like, Roberto Luongo is reacting, oh, my God, I get to meet Dominic Hasek, just to mm-hmm. show you how good a goal he was. It was a really cool moment.
0: I love it when I see great athletes celebrating other things like a fan. Yeah. The, the example I would give, I think the best example was when the Eagles won the Super Bowl and Kobe Bryant he oh, was yes. so excited. Right. He yeah, was yeah, watching yeah. it at home, and he was like, oh my god, I can't believe it. The <laughs> Eagles won the Super Bowl. The Eagles won the Super Bowl. I'm like, just like you're me. one of the greatest basketball <laughs> right? players of all time. You've yeah. won multiple championships, but he was just like so happy just as a fan. I couldn't I believe
2: awesome. Wongo never met Haskell before. you think somewhere along the lines, their paths would have crossed. Two of the greatest goalies ever. But yeah, Lou had never met him before. It <laughs> had to be in the Hall of
1: Fame. It's just it. crazy. That's the only place you get to meet other Hall of Famers is in the Hall of Fame. Such That's... a cool moment. Do you have the uh, Henrik Zinger from last night? Uh, one of the Zingers. Okay, let's hear it. As you might know, I've just recovered from COVID. It came down to a last-minute decision to attend. But as our coaches always said, Henrik at 70% is a lot better than Daniel at 100
2: that's a pretty good line. Oh I love God. how he, I got, went, <laughs> he went into statistics as well. Like, I've, I've missed more yeah. games than you, and I still have better numbers. Like.
1: <laughs> he deadpanned it, too. It was great. He you know, didn't, didn't do one of the chuckles afterwards. Anyway, really um, you brought up a good point about, one, you being handsome and the best thing about that the show. That was a good point. I uh, think. Also, I think. also, this year especially, in, because of the Hall of Fame inductions and the BXA thing, it's been really rammed down our throats about how great things were a decade ago. And then for the team that didn't even win the Stanley Cup. Right. But they were still, so close. But they, they were, were so they close. Were, they were close. They kept reminding yeah, yeah. us yeah. over and over last night. But they were, they were so One close. One game shot. But it's hard. Like, this isn't a media driven narrative. It's just the way things played out yeah. that you had all these guys from 2011 and not just the success that they had. But they always hearken back to how great a team it was, how tight the group was, how great the culture was. Well, guess what happens when you dial back the, the old-timey machine way back the good old days? And you, it's, it, it's always going to be compared to what's going on in current times. That's just a natural human reaction, right? Uh-huh. When, you, when you pine for the past and you remember the good times... The, one of the things that jumps to your mind is like, yeah, I wish I could feel that again. Or why isn't that happening
0: again? Yeah. Austin and Langley, over the last year, the more reminiscing and celebrating of the 2011 team we do, the more I feel we need to blow up this team. All the things they talk about, excellence, et cetera, it reinforces that the current team lacks it. But, yeah. Eh, the, the comparisons are pretty stark right now. Yeah. It's
1: it's hard to avoid, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, when Biexa comes in and makes a speech about culture to the current team, it's hard not to infer that maybe some people at the higher reach or the org- higher reaches of the organization are saying, it'd be nice if things were a little bit more focused and determined and unified and there was a better sense of camaraderie, like, this organization knows that it can have, and they had it just over a decade ago. Um, okay, on to the subject of the current Vancouver Canucks. And the big news making the rounds today ahead of tonight's game in Buffalo is the plight of head coach Bruce Boudreaux. Uh, There were some suggesting, and a couple of you have texted into the Dunbar Lumber text message in Basket this morning, that this may very well be Boudreaux's last game in charge of the Vancouver Canucks. It has not been a good road trip. It has not been a good start to the season. The club would be... It would make sense for the club if they didn't do any sort of dismissal on the same night as the Hockey Hall of Fame induction ceremonies or any, anything surrounding that. But now that that's in the past, you have to think about it. Throwing further gasoline onto the fire here was the ESPN crew working last night's hockey games, specifically Kevin Weeks and Ryan Callahan uh, during one of their intermission reports. Here is what Weeks had to say on the latest regarding Bruce Boudreaux and a potential coaching change in Vancouver.
0: One name for me to watch right now, although there are several, everybody would look to, of course, everybody would look to Barry Trotz. Mm-hmm. But I'm also looking at Rick Tockett as a name to watch. There's a, certainly a relationship from their days in Pittsburgh with Jimmy Rutherford. Yep, They won cups. I'm keeping an eye on Rick Tockett right now. Yeah, I mean, that noise with Jimmy Rutherford coming out and saying that. I mean, yeah. you know, going all the way back, he said we don't think we had a good training camp mm-hmm. as well, right? So – your
2: practice coming out and saying that. I mean, there's there's definitely some some fire with that smoke. And uh, weeksy, I think I think you're spot on with with talking. I think it would be a great fit there. Mm.
1: So there was a mm, there from Buchegross at the end. So uh, you look at it and it's hard not to connect the dots. Tockett spent time uh, with Rutherford and Alvine in Pittsburgh. Uh, his coaching resume is kind of interesting because as a head guy, he wasn't necessarily lights out. But he was in a tough situation in Arizona, and the one year that they did uh, have some success, and I think it was the bubble season, was the bubble year, and, yeah. uh, he was uh, kind of applauded for the work that he did with, in retrospect, a bit of a flawed team, although that was the John Shaka team where he added some pieces to it, including Taylor
0: Hall. So and Darcy Kemper had a lights-out save percentage. Right. And, but maybe that was partly to do with the system that they were playing there.
1: Well, that's another part of it too, yeah. right?
0: Is I do wonder
1: having coached in Pittsburgh and learned under some of the guys that were able to be the architects of those Stanley Cup winning teams from a coaching perspective, Mm -hmm. because we've talked about the system that Pittsburgh played back then. I do wonder if that's ultimately what Rutherford is looking for. If that's the case, um, I would just say if if you legitimately think that this team can be turned around and you legitimately think that this season can be salvaged, you better do it quick. If you honestly believe that, and I I think there's a lot of us, including maybe us two at the table, that are skeptical that this thing can be turned around, but if that's the case, one if you're going to learn from the past, one fatal flaw this team cannot make is like what they
0: did with Travis Green and just let it linger and linger and linger until it's way too late. Well, I just wonder, um, I just want this management group to get the coach that it really wants. That's fair. Do you know what I mean? I like do. if if they feel they have to need they, they need to wait until the off season to get the coach they really want. I don't know, maybe it's Barry Trotz. I doubt it, but but maybe it's someone coaching. There's been talk that maybe they're going to go to Europe for someone, right? They could have someone in mind and I want them to get the coach that they want so that everything can be aligned. Right now there is no alignment between management and coach. And that is a massive problem. There are always going to be disagreements between the GM and the coach. The GM will get a player, and maybe that coach doesn't like the player. But it doesn't mean their overall plans are misaligned necessarily. But right now, what's going on is untenable. And it's not good for anyone, for Jim Rutherford, to be out in the media publicly calling out his head coach the way he has been doing it. And I do wonder, and a lot of people have texted in, if that has in fact made things worse. If that has fanned the, fanned the fire, fueled the fire, and maybe, just maybe, the players are like, you know, like, this is weird. This is a weird situation. We're just waiting for the coach to get fired based on some of the comments. Like, it's hard to focus. Um, I know there have been some reports that uh, the players on the Canucks are just kind of waiting for something to happen. Well, that's not a good way to be preparing for games. Your coach is telling you what to do, and you're like, "Ah, uh, are you going to be here tomorrow?" Yeah, no. Right? It's a like, good it's point. just a bad environment to be in. So I don't have to listen to you, you're not my dad. But they yeah, but yeah, <laughs> but, they're, but they're they're in a tough situation, right? Because the season's going down the toilet, or it's I don't know, ninety percent there. Yeah, and it's clogged. No, but like like. W- so they, they they probably want to make the change, but what if they can't get the guy that they really want and they have to settle for someone? Okay, okay, I'm glad you brought that up because the first thing, if I was a prospective
1: free agent coach and I saw the landscape, the first question I would ask myself is, do I really want that Vancouver job? And I think that's probably a fair criticism to point out is that this is not the most alluring job in the NHL right now. Don't get me wrong. Beggars can't be choosers. And there's only a finite amount of NHL head coaching jobs, 32 of them to be exact. But, you know, especially if you were, for example, let's talk about Barry Trotz. Like if I was Barry Trotz, I would probably not consider Vancouver a very desirable option to resume my coaching career. Right. If you have choices, which Trotz would, if you go further down the list, he meet, also might want to say in management too, right? That's, that's, that's a part of it as well around and then go back to talk it. He did, doesn't appear to be in any huge rush to leave what he's doing. He's got a pretty cushy gig working on TNT doing the intermission, um, analyst role. And I think he would have to look at it and say, well, what is this group all about? I'm not hearing especially great things about this collective group of players. I don't even know if they're going to be around that long. Some of them might have to go it's an untenable situation right now with Boudreau in charge. You have to be a pretty rosy optimist to think that I'm going to come in and flip this entire thing around because this is the same group that kind of packed it in under green. And now it's clearly kind of packed it in under Boudreau.
0: Yeah. In some ways, I wonder if the smart thing to do would be to just let someone take over on an interim role. Maybe it's Colleton or Mike Yo and, and just punt on this season and then go into the off season and say okay let's really just like regroup here. Yeah. <laughs> we got we got to regroup, figure out the roster, figure out the coach. Maybe some guys uh will will come free um or get fired that that are appealing to to the Canucks. You just I just don't want them to make a decision that unnecessarily locks them into anyone because yeah. that's what happened with Boudreau, right? Like they they hired him, and then there was a miscommunication on on how long he 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 had as a coach. And I, I'm sure he wouldn't be the coach if they didn't have that contract that ownership originally gave him. So, like, let's avoid another situation like that. Let's avoid another mistake and get. Everything lined up. Ducks in a row for the Vancouver Canucks. Maybe that could be like their slogan. Ducks in a row for 2023. You're listening to the (laughs) the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Greg Wyshynski, one of our favorite guests, is coming up next.
3: Time now for
1: Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol.
0: But I'm also looking at Rick Tockett as a name to watch. There's a certainly a relationship from their days in Pittsburgh with Jimmy Rutherford. Yep. They won cups. I'm keeping an eye on Rick Tockett right now. 633
1: on a Tuesday, Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience a Delari Difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Okay. That's the second time in 33 minutes that we've played that clip. That was uh, Kevin Weeks on last night's ESPN NHL broadcast during the intermission talking about the coaching situation in Vancouver and how that solution might be soon rectified depending on how much longer Bruce Boudreaux has in charge. Rick talking a name that's been kicked around a few times just in terms of connecting the dots to Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine from their days in Pittsburgh. For more on that and everything else going on in and around the NHL, he's also from ESPN. Greg Wushinsky here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet. Six fifty. What up, Wish? How are you? We eat at the same cafe.
3: <laughs> me and uh, me and Weeksy when he's when he's on on campus in Bristol.
1: You guys are table mates. A Question. Yes. Go.
3: Let me ask your question. Yep. Yep. So a, a, a three forty four points percentage. At this point in the season, are, are is Vancouver? The, and I know I mean the Vancouver fans, mm-hmm. and you guys obviously have the pulse on these fans. Are Vancouver fans more of the mind of just like let's let's just like pack it in this season, get one of the you know get get some good draft capital going? And, yes, yes, and yes, then for you sure. know like because because like I feel I feel like Rick Tockett. Or, or a bigger name is, is when you believe, A, that you can turn your season around or, or B, you're ready to just, you know, hit, hit, hit the, the restart button and, and start again next season.
1: It is one of the many questions that we've tried to tackle in the first part of the show. Actually, we brought it up earlier. Is it maybe not just best to let this thing ride and get in the Bedard sweepstakes? At the same time, when we're trying to figure out where management's head collectively is at with this, we keep wondering, like, are these constant criticisms and public criticisms of Boudreaux a suggestion that yes, we believe this thing can be turned around, and yes, we believe the season can be, can be salvaged? So it's almost like taking the pulse of the team and then trying to read the minds of management. Uh, one is obviously right. e- easier than the other, but at the end of the day, as Jason and I like to say, we have no idea what we're talking
3: about. What we, yeah, I mean, obviously, we we need to hear Jim Rutherford come out and say. I believe in this roster, which essentially is Jim Benning's roster, but I believe in it too. And then we'll know for a fact that uh, that it's 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 a team that they believe can be a playoff team, and it's the coach's
0: fault. Now, in this scenario, is, is Jim Rutherford a witch? <laughs> <It's> a <guess. laughs> He's,
3: listen, everyone knows in puck soup canon, Jim Rutherford is a kindly old man yes. who keeps a, a jar of Werther's Originals on his desk at all times. He has and, not been very uh,
0: he has not been very kindly in Vancouver. <laughs> I have you actually I, I don't know if we've we've chatted about this, but can you remember uh, a a GM or president of hockey ops or or you know boss of management, whatever you want to call it, talking about his head coach publicly like he has about Bruce Boudreaux?
3: Yes, there's one example, but it's not hockey, it's Jerry Jones. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. That's- that's the proxy. Like, that's where we are right now with the Vancouver Canucks. The level of dysfunction has reached the point where we compare it to the Dallas Cowboys. Like, you know, that's that's the only example. And hockey, I, I've thought about that after Rutherford dinged through for like the dozen time. I'm like, has there been a situation where GM has like actively called out their current coach? And I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I, it's definitely happened, obviously, like after a firing or whatever, but I don't think it's happened while the person was still behind the bench. as far as I could tell. I'm sure I'm sure somebody out there I should call Merrick and see, you know, what happened on the on the sixty seven Canadians or whatever. <laughs> I'm sure there's probably some some example that I'm missing.
0: Can can you um can you recall much about Rick Talkett and the job he did in Arizona? Uh, obviously we don't talk a lot of coyotes on, on this show unless we're talking about their arena or or their market. I, I know He did get some kudos for the job he did in 2019-20, which was the bubble season where they played. They had a ton of injuries. Uh, They played decent or actually more than decent defensive hockey, although they had Darcy Kemper making some saves. But I, I don't know anything more beyond that, except that OEL wasn't such a fan.
3: So they were, they were a tough-nosed team, a hard-nosed team. They definitely took on the personality of their coach. I mean, he's a guy that, that you know likes to play that style of hockey. He's, he's also renowned for being a player's coach. I mean, uh, there was a time, if you remember, he was called the Phil Kessel Whisperer right. for his uh, abilities to uh, connect with one of the more enigmatic players that we have in this league. So there's that reputation his teams in Arizona were weird because you're right. Like Defensively, they, they'd be pretty good at times, and they had some pretty good goaltending at times too. They, they, for whatever reason, year after year, had one of the lowest shooting percentages in the league. And I've never really been able to figure out if that's a problem with the roster, if that was a problem systematically, or, or what was going on. But it was always sort of the thing that kind of held them back from really excelling was they could stop the puck, they could play physical, they could play hard nose, but they couldn't put the puck in the net for some reason.
1: We're speaking to Greg Wachinski from ESPN here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Wish, obviously, last night, Hockey Hall of Fame induction ceremony for 2022. You went ahead on ESPN and looked ahead to the class of 2023, and you rightly pointed out that Henrik Lundqvist, longtime Rangers goalie, is going to be a lock to get in. Lundqvist, actually, it's a good um, divergent point from our earlier conversation where we were talking about, as we go farther and farther along here, there's going to be a lot of guys Who are going to try and get or get inducted into the Hall of Fame without having a Stanley Cup on their resume? You know, and it's an interesting dynamic because I think in olden days or earlier times that was always the benchmark for maybe getting in or maybe not. But now that there's 32 teams and parity's never been stronger, and you don't have dynasties like you do before, we were kicking around the idea of it could be even more commonplace that we see a lot of Hall of Fame inductees. All you know, all it was Alfredson, Luongo, and the Sedin's, both of them yesterday. None of them had a Stanley Cup on their resume.
3: Yeah, I, I saw that. And, you know, obviously there's, there's been times in the past when players that haven't won the Cup uh, have gotten in and, and uh, on the merits of their statistics or, or how much the selection committee likes having a beer with them, which is probably the greatest measure. <laughs> I will say, though, that one of the commonalities of this year's class was that they all had Olympic gold medals um, playing on the same, you know, uh, play, three of them playing on, on a Swedish team and obviously Luongo with team Canada. Um, so I, I, I do think that, that one of the underrated things about the selection committee is how they do value international hockey. Uh, so you can say, yeah, from an NHL perspective, these guys weren't winners, but from an international hockey perspective, they they won arguably the greatest prize in international hockey. So I don't think you can discount that on their ledger. Um, i I did my, 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 like you said, my, my 2023 class yesterday, like the ranking and Lundqvist if, is a lock. Uh, I had someone reach out and, and question if he was eligible because he retired. Like his last game was in August of uh, of 2020. So all I'm going right. to have to look into that. I, I hope we're not all wrong on that because if he's eligible, he's a lock. Um, Carolyn Olette from the Canadian national team, I think is also a lock. I, I'm kind of confused how she didn't get in this year or how... We haven't had two women inducted in the same year since 2010. And then I, I, I'll lose my mind if Alex McGillney's not in this next class. <laughs> like, I really will. I can't understand it. It's so – it's such a – we've talked about this before, but, like, from a statistics perspective, he's, like, 33rd or 32nd in points per game. Both of the Sadines aren't even in the top 150 of retired players. Yeah. Um, you know, he was a legitimate star in this league. And and above all that, you know, the Hockey Hall of Fame is a place where you go to the big room with the plaques and you point at the plaque and you tell the person you're with, who may not be familiar with the history of hockey, here is why this person is important. And Alex McGillie was the first Russian player to defect from the Soviet Union. And that is a story that needs to be told, that needs to be remembered. It was a, a moment of extreme bravery. And the idea that that part of his story, plus his stats, plus his stardom, doesn't add up to him already being in the Hall of Fame is nonsensical. Now I will say this: ever since I published this story, I've had people reach out on Twitter and say, "Do you really think they're going to put over a Russian at this point in time in history?" To which I'd say, "Maybe not," but at the same time, he's also a guy who's famous for escaping <laughs> Russia, so I don't know if that kind of nullifies yeah. the uh, political atmosphere that we're all dealing with right now.
0: Yeah, he he chose us,
3: so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. He got out of there. Yeah, he picked he picked their, he backed the right horse, but.
0: A wish. I don't know.
3: And, then, and then for the, for the other one, you know, you've got your Sergei Gonchar is still out there, and you've got a few others that are still out there. But I'm, I'm pretty sure, as I, as I pre- predicted yesterday, you'll get Alette, you'll get Lunquist, you'll get McGillney, you'll get uh, maybe David Poyle in the builder category because he's not in yet and he's like the GM, winningest GM of all time despite having not won anything. And then you'll get somebody we literally have not thought about for 30 years as the other person in the class. That, well, that seems like it's right for next year.
0: I don't think he's going to get in next year, but I'm glad you put Rod Brindamore on the list because I, I think he, he deserves more consideration than what I've seen before. Like He was a terrific hockey player, um, and now he's a pretty terrific coach as well.
3: So two things on Brindamore. One, if he had played for an original 16, he'd be in already. Um, I truly believe that. I mean, he had a really good run with the Flyers. He didn't exactly become Rod Brindamore with the Flyers, became Rod Brindamore with the Carolina Hurricanes. And I feel like if he was a Leaf <laughs> or if he was a Bruin, oh, absolutely. Uh, like the, yeah, the perception of definitely. his career would be much, much different he'd be in already. Um, the interesting thing about him, though, is this. The best arguments to be made for Rod Brindamore being in the Hall of Fame is the fact that Guy Carboneau was in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, they, they were similar players as far as being the best defensive centers of their eras. Carboneau had more Selkies. Brynnemore has two. I think Carboneau has three, I want to say, but he's nominated uh, as a finalist more often. But Brynnemore blows him away in points. <clears throat> the cr- real question is, though, and, and I'll use the Baseball Hall of Fame as the, as the example, it's kind of a, a thing you don't do in baseball to compare certain players to the lowest rung on the ladder. And by that I mean like your Phil Rizzuto. You're Bill Mazeroski. You're guys that somehow got into the Hall of Fame despite not having a statistical case. And I feel like, you know, Carbono, in some ways is that guy for us right now, where you look at Carbono and you say, okay, if he's in, how is Brendamore not in? If he's in, how is this guy not in? And so I think there's an argument to be made that just because they may have made a mistake on one guy, that shouldn't all of a sudden become the standard to allow other guys in. Uh,
0: you mentioned international hockey, earlier in our hit when you were talking about Luongo and the Sedines and uh, Daniel Offertson winning Olympic gold. Um, here's a question for you. Uh, when are we going to see that again? <laughs>
3: well, hopefully in the next Olympics. Uh, you know, COVID uh, notwithstanding, uh, I think the, the plan is obviously to go and uh, and hopefully play. And um, and they, they obviously negotiated it in the CBA and, and despite the fact that the ioc is still horrible uh when it comes to sharing the wealth for the nhl allowing its star players to bolster the profile of the olympics uh they'll they'll go um this world cup thing is a bummer um i I do think that you know we're going to see one eventually because you have to remember that it's all about the money they're not getting from the olympics and the money they'll get from the world cup and and that's the driving force behind this tournament so you know, a lot of people have wondered why we haven't had World Cups except sporadically for the last 25 years, and it's because they really thought, I think, that they were going to get more out of the Olympics than they did, and so they kind of put the World Cup on a shelf, and now they've it back. And I think that we are going to see once we get into this rhythm, once the uh, you know worldwide pandemics and 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 you know Russian insurrections um, don't interfere with the scheduling, we are going to see that 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 routine of World Cup, and then two years later, Olympics. Then World Cup, and two years later, Olympics. And then, you know, that'll keep going until the NHL finally decides that they're just not going to do the Olympics anymore. And then it's just going to be all about the World Cup.
0: This is an idea that a bunch of people have had, including Elliot and uh, Jeff Merrick. Uh, they kicked it around <laughs> on their show the other day. What about a, a series between Canada and the States? Maybe you play it before the season or, or whenever. Uh, they suggested a best of three. I, I would want something longer. Than that, But can you imagine the promotion, the buzz you could build with a best of seven between Canada and the US and you play it at a bunch of different ranks, you go to, you know, Madison Square Garden, Philly, Boston, and then up in Canada, obviously there's a few candidates here. Don't you think that would be incredible? And as an American hockey fan, and you're looking at a roster that finally has depth at all the positions and maybe an advantage in goal, aren't you kind of dying to see this stuff?
3: No. <laughs> are you really not? Is, Why not? This is, this is this is the essential Canadian solution to a worldwide problem of I want to see Sidney Crosby play with Connor McDavid before Sid retires.
0: Yes. And yes. so how do
3: we make that happen? Well, we we create an exhibition series against the United States in September. Sidiotic. Like I want to see a what? best on best tournament if we're going to do this thing. What do you what? What do you, what? What you, you, you don't think tournament?
0: people are will you, be interested is, in that? Like, hold,
3: Hey, hey! I didn't say people aren't going to be interested in it. People are interested in in idiocy. People are interested <laughs> in the masked singer. Like people are interested in all kinds of things. Are you holding? It's this the best rivalry in September? hockey on, right now,
0: Canada and hold the US. Wait
3: a, second. wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Are you holding this tournament in September? Probably, yeah. Okay, so do you remember how awful the hockey was in the World Cup of Hockey in September? Yeah,
0: that was a gimmick tournament. They do it better this okay, time. Okay,
3: so. So let's, let's say this, okay, so let's say we decide to hold, hold it in season instead. Um, what percentage of the NHL is not from the U.S. or Canada?
0: Yeah, they can go to Cabo. They'll love
3: it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so what you're essentially saying is that the, the top U.S. and Canadian stars will have to play an intense rivalry tournament in the middle of the season.
0: No, I'm not saying middle of the season. I say start it before the season.
3: Get to, get to, get to, get to, get to go lie on the beach for three weeks? Yeah, and, and this is good for the for the NHL.
0: Yeah, don't you think that those guys want to play? A, don't they? Don't you think they want to compete at the international level? Don't Don't you think those guys want to have that opportunity? They seem to be the ones leading the charge on this. Unless, unless, wish it's just mostly about the Olympics for them and going to the Olympics. And there's well, nothing well, that all, they can it, recreate.
3: It is, it is very much about the Olympics for them. I mean, it, you know, that that's 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 the North American players. That's also I've talked to many European players through the years who have told me that winning a gold medal for their country is more important to them than winning the Stanley Cup. That's that's a fact. I mean, like, that's just how it is. So it has to be the Olympics. The Olympics into it. Yeah, it becomes a a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Look, it it would be an extraordinarily fun thing. It would be a very interesting thing. I think a lot of people would would be into it. But but you brought up a very important point, which is that not only are we talking about a situation where we might be seeing bad hockey between the U.S. and Canada in a September tournament, Mm, or... I don't
0: think think it would
3: be. I think, dude... September hockey. First of all, are you are you are you really saying that it's it's the right thing to do to try to change these guys' training regimens in the off season for an exhibition tournament? Again, that was part of the World Cup problem too. But 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 you to go back to your main point. What is it for? What, are going to make another paperweight like we did with the World Cup. And congratulations, Canada! You won another paperweight. It's an it's a it's a made up fake thing. All of you people out so there... so was the
0: nineteen seventy two summit Cup. series that all was all made up. There, it was a summer thing. All
3: you people out there that bemoan the World Cup for having fake made up teams are now going to go and watch the U.S. and Canada play a fake tournament for a. fake It wouldn't be a fake tournament. A fake
0: tournament wish the 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 World Cup sucked because it didn't prove anything. You had these players dispersed onto these different teams. We know that the best two teams right now are Canada and the U.S. So have an exhibition series like the 1972 Summit Series, which was incredible. It was, it was the players got up for it, and the longer that series went, the better the hockey got because these guys realized, man, I don't want to lose this. This is a rivalry. Some of the best hockey that we've ever seen has been in, in, the, in the so-called off-season. People make fun of me all the time for bringing up the 1987 Canada Cup. It was still some of the best hockey I've ever seen. I just desperately want to see this stuff, and I want to see the international rivalry return. Can you imagine the rivalry that a best-of-seven Canada-U.S. series would best would create? <laughs> yeah!
3: guys to play a best of seven series in september before the nhl season sure yeah i do it's making it's you're making me mental by the way the canada cup for all the leg leg legacy and legend of that of that of that tournament and by the way as an american of course i value what happened in the 1990s that thing would have been inconsequential if they were already playing in the olympics at that point inconsequential well
0: maybe we've just reached the point where it has to be the olympics now you know, I guess we have because no, I get a lot no, of people. No, 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 I, no I, maybe we I, I have. Think, I
3: think the, I think the world cup can be valid. I do. When I really do you play it then? You, the, you,
0: you seem to, you seem to think in, you can't the, play the, it before the, 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 the season starts.
3: Un- the NBA is about to unleash an in-season tournament that is going to print money. The NHL is going to have a world cup tournament that is going to print money during the season, but you've got to make it legit. You got to have the other nations evolve. And by the way, I appreciate your, your, your kudos to the Americans for being the second best team in the world. We've yet to prove that. <laughs> like it could, it could, every time we try to prove it, we win a bronze medal. Yeah, but aren't, but, like, but my I, whole
0: point know. is like, aren't you dying to, to, to try? Because let, that team, last team in Sochi, is like, great, you've got a lot of good wingers. <clears throat> right? Like You're not going to win. Right? It was like the people right. that were talking up the, the Russians. And I'm like, you got KHL players on the blue line. That's not going to happen for you guys. Like, the, the, the team you could potentially have as Americans right now could beat Canada. No question about it.
3: Right. Sure. Okay. And so I would love to see that in an actual tournament and, and not in some sort of made up thing because Canadians are worried that Sid's going to retire before he plays with Connor.
1: I mean the real question We're not
0: worried. Is- <laughs> we just wanna see it, man. Like I just wanna see it. We haven't had we haven't had these tournaments for a long time now. It's been a decade almost. The real
1: question that we should probably focus more on, although your guys' debate has been very entertaining, is um if this is at all possible outside of a mid, like you said, a mid season NBA style world cup, because the issue with a summit series like this, as you pointed out, there's a logical problem in that half the league is going to get a three week vacation or however long it is. Whereas the North American and Canadian players are going to be playing and potentially injuring themselves. Yeah, that is the biggest concern. That's, that's obviously. the biggest like, hang I, up. I, I'm like, not
0: I, I'm not dismissing. Yeah. It. I just want to see it. I just want to see something. Wish. I want to see something. Well, I don't want to have wait. to wait.
3: The injury thing is is a non starter for me because like like I'm an Olympics guy, so I'm already saying we should send our guys to the to wherever to play the Olympics, and there's always the risk of injury. In right, but tournament. there's a difference it's, between
1: it's, some players being subjected to potential injury, and then the, like that's that's a difference, right? If no Euro, European, well, yeah, player... I you're guess, g- yeah, I guess yeah,
3: I guess the difference is that if you're from Slovenia, you got yourself a month. Yeah, right. You're good <laughs> to go. Like you're, then you can go to Kabul.
0: You can go to Cabo, hey, you can go to Puerto Vallarta, series, after, too. there's a
3: Summit Series or a, World, or a World Cup, you got yourself a month if you're from Slovenia. Um, no, that's, that's true. And, and, and again, like, I, I, I come back to this, man. I, I really think that there's been sort of maybe a revisionist history. I think, I think Team North America blinded some people. That was bad hockey in the it World was. Cup. It yep. was bad hockey. Because
0: there were no stakes really, to it. it. They they it was it was promoted so badly. Wish too, like the commercials looked cheap. I remember, and I'm like, this is what you guys are organizing. This is well, horrible, on, on. horrible. Did, did, you, did, did you play Canada in the World Cup? Yeah, I can't even remember. Okay. Yeah, they did. Yeah,
3: what's the same? Like there were rival, there were rivalry games in the World Cup. I yeah but
0: yeah, but the, but but the te- but the teams were split like you had didn't certain start. guys like certain guys playing on the North American team, like it was such a stupid gimmicky tournament, no, and I think no, the players the went in and they realized they didn 't
3: matter they, 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 they the reason it was bad hockey is because they held it before these guys would have had a way in at camp, like it was in September, their training does not target september, their training doesn't even target the beginning of october they're constantly getting into shape at the beginning of the season. You've, you've throw, that's why the, the NHL has turned the focus. If you will remember about this World Cup, that that that's not going to happen. There was never a discussion about holding it in September again because it sucked. They want to put it in season and, and have these guys be at peak, peak fitness and, and be you know, in the mindset of, of competition rather than thinking about how they were just on their houseboat. Two weeks earlier, <laughs>
1: I do remember. So, yeah, I do remember a lot of stories coming from that tournament where they're like that guy.
0: But that, that added show. that added an element in 1972 because the Canadian players were like, "We're going to hammer these guys," and they were like, "Oh my god, we better get in shape." Yeah, stop how much spo- time do we have to? <laughs> you how much time smoking. do we have? Yeah, yeah, they were like, "I got to stop drinking before these games."
3: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, I, I'm I'm interested to find out the argument for like the team that wins the cup to all of a sudden tell their American and Canadian players, "Oh, by the way, you, your your summer break it's like three days." You've got to get, you get right back into training for this uh, made-up tournament that we created.
1: Where's, I don't know. Uh,
3: like, like I said, I, listen, anytime you throw USA and Canada in a thing, it's going to be successful. People are going to be into it. The same goes, obviously, for the women's teams when they play. Um, the difference being is that I, I just think that, the, you know, when you talk about the NHL and, and what would be the, the optimal thing, it'd be to get all the players involved and not simply just have two countries playing against each other. I mean, it's true. Sort of, what makes the NHL great is that it's an international league with international stars. My God, we just saw three Swedes make the Hall of Fame last night. It is not because we take a myopic view of North America overall and then just have like some of the biggest stars in the league sit on the sidelines while you know we figure out our beef.
1: I uh, wish this was great. We're right up against it for time. Thanks a lot for doing this today. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll do this again next Tuesday.
3: Also, the Americans would win. I just want to point that out. Thanks, boys. <laughs> See you later.
1: That's Greg Wyszynski from ESPN here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650 with a nice parting shot. He knows how to drop the mic. Where were, in, you, were, were case, you talking about houseboating? He was talking about houseboating. Oh, okay. I didn't say anything about houseboating. Oh, okay. Why? Is there well, a someone says it? That
0: I wanted to hear Mike's houseboat anecdote, but Bruff cut him off as always. I did cut you off about something.
1: Um, I don't. I don't think I had a houseboating anecdote at <laughs> the ready. I've never been houseboating. I don't know. Now I'm curious though. Yeah, I don't. I've <laughs> never been on a houseboat before. I can try to rack in my brain now. Like, have I been to Shoe No, I haven't. I've been
2: to a, a couple parties on houseboats. And if if the party kind of shifts to one side of the house, yeah, they have to yell at you. Everyone get to the other side because the house actually starts to. That sounds kick. like a fun party. Yeah, now mm-hmm. I want to go
1: to yeah, one. It's fun. Um, we have some Canucks. News. Well, I
0: can see how that related to international hockey. This, mm-hmm. this yeah, I, house I, I didn't.
1: I didn't have a... Don't don't look at me for. A house I'm not looking I at you. Know I, I, I like. cut
0: you off at some point. I was just like, "Halford's talking about, it. I don't want to get another shot." At, at least all one all of was, us had a houseboating story. I
1: think all I was trying to do was wrap up the interview. I can't remember, but um, okay. We do have Canucks news before we go to break. Uh, the Canucks have announced from Buffalo, bright and early this morning, you can add another to the long list of injured forwards. Jack studnika has been placed on injured reserve, and the Canucks have recalled William Lockwood from Abbotsford of the American Hockey League. Uh, I, this one kind of came out of nowhere. I don't recall stood getting hurt in the Boston game. Although to be honest, it was a busy sports weekend and I might've missed it. Uh, I do know that he played 11 minutes and 14 seconds. It seemed like he was taking a regular twirl. But right now, if you look at this team that puts stood on the shelf alongside Vassily Podkolzin, who I have been told uh, was pretty banged up after that fight with AJ Greer, that it did not look good from a sort of facial standpoint. Uh, Tanner Pearson's also on the shelf. And then of course, Curtis and then on defense, it's still, uh, Tucker Pullman to be determined, Travis, or sorry, Travis Dermott as well. So it's a long list of guys that are banged up and you can add Jack Studnika to it as well. The Canucks have just announced that. I assume that this will be addressed along with a flurry of other things from head coach Bruce Boudreau this morning when the Canucks take to their morning skate in Buffalo. Okay. We are right up against it for time. We got to move on to the seven o'clock hour. Uh, we got a lot more to get to. We can dive into the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket 730. Paul Hamilton, WGR Radio 550 in Buffalo is going to join us to look at the Sabres who host the Canucks tonight and are looking to snappy five-game losing streak. That's all coming up next. Don't go anywhere. It's the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.